0: This is the Lunduke Journal podcast for Sunday, October 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2022. Today, as with every Sunday, we talk about Linux news and alternative operating system news, retro computing news, you know, the important news, the stuff that warms your heart and has actual value in our day-to-day lives, not this political news, blah, blah, economic news, no surrey bab, and definitely Definitely no enterprise computing news. You will not find the latest in cloud deployment infrastructure news here. This is just the good stuff, the stuff that makes us happy. <laughs> now, the, the only slight difference today with all the previous weeks is that I have decided to move the Saturday news and the Sunday news together. Previously, every Saturday, an article would come out with all the important news that we we talk about during the week. That would come out on Saturday and then on Sunday, this podcast would happen that covered the same material. So I've just squished those two things together so now you get the article and the podcast together on the same day every Sunday starting today. Uh, Which is cool because then you can listen along and read along and look at the screenshots all at the same time if you so, wish. If not, you can just, you know, get the article or the podcast or both or individual or whatever. All right, let's move right into it. The first news of the week is that the GNU or the GNU, depending on whether or not you pronounce it right, toolchain, the hosting for it, <laughs> okay, get this. It might be moving to the Linux Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the GNU Projects toolchain. And when I say toolchain, what does that mean? That means things like GCC, the compiler that compiles everything. Make, Glibc, so many other things. The the, the core toolchain that really comprises GNU slash Linux systems might be moving over to the Linux foundation, at least in terms of, of hosting and some other things. Uh, I'm going to read some of this announcement here. This came from, uh, from the mailing list. Quote, During the Sourceware slash Infrastructure Birds of a Feather session (laughs) at GNU Cauldron, a little conference there, the GNU Toolchain community, in collaboration with the Linux Foundation and OpenSSF, announced the GNU Toolchain Infrastructure Project, also known as GTI. The collaboration includes a fund for infrastructure and software supply chain security, which will allow us to utilize the respective Linux Foundation IT services that host kernel.org and to fund other important projects. <laughs> Where do I begin in exactly how I feel about this? So I when I when I reported on this and in the article I included a little picture Uh, From Lost in Space (laughs) with Robbie the Robot declaring danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. Because this is, oh, I don't see the scenario where this ends well. I see a scenario where this goes not too bad and has potentially even some possible upsides in the near to short term. But long term, the Linux Foundation, here's the thing. It's a trade organization, right? That's the whole point of the Linux Foundation. That's what it is. And if you look at the Linux Foundation as simply a trade organization, it's not so bad, right? But when you start taking things like the core of the GNU project itself the very core and move it under the umbrella to where it's essentially controlled by the Linux Foundation i mean it's once you give linux foundation the uh, you know some of the funding pro- po- uh, the funding control of parts of it the infrastructure and hosting control over over it okay the linux foundation is not a how do i put this when you see representatives from the Linux Foundation get up on stage at various conferences including ones where they proclaim the year of the Linux desktop is nigh they are very rarely using open source software they tend to use macintoshes running proprietary software that's just a fact now that could be fine right like that's but that by itself a person choosing to use whatever computer they want, I have no problem with. But when the people hosting the f- core of the free software tool chain <laughs> don't use free software, that is a red flag. It, it Honestly, I would have the same reaction if I saw the CEO of apple tim cook get up on stage and give his entire presentation from windows 11 i would be like whoa there red flags everywhere this is not this is not how it's supposed to go right or or the ceo of pepsi getting up on stage for a pepsi keynote while he's drinking a coke like no 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 you don't do that and so i don't and I've, we've already seen the Linux Foundation showing that its future is not in Linux and open source. Its future is in uh, medical databases, vaccine passports, and the like. That's where they've that's where they've put uh, so much of their focus. So I I am extraordinarily skeptical of this going well. I just don't see it going well. Um, I more power to the Linux Foundation doing whatever they want with whatever projects they want and running whatever software they want uh while they do it. But the GNU project to to basically put their eggs in the Linux Foundation basket is foolish. Deeply deeply foolish. I mean, they might as well say, um, we're, we're going to have all of our hosting done on Azure and we're going to do a lot of our funding through Microsoft going forward. No, 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 no. Which by the way, Microsoft gives a lot of money and has a lot of control and they have, you know, seats on the board of directors and everything at, at Linux foundation. So anyway, Bad idea, but it's happening. At least it looks like it's happening. Um, on to completely less important news, but extraordinarily fun. You remember the Sega Dreamcast? The Sega Dreamcast, is one of my favorite consoles, I, I dearly loved it. And one of the cool things about the Sega Dreamcast was the way it handled save files, right? Uh, many, many consoles have built in safe, safe memory and, and battery backups in the cartridges. Um, others, you know, write data to internal hard drives and, or internal flash storage. Like the, the original PlayStation had those little memory cartridges that you slide in and out. Well, the Dreamcast had what they called the, uh, the, uh, the VMU, right? It was a visual memory unit. And what was cool about it is this little memory unit was this little itty bitty thing. That was kind of like a tiny Game Boy. It had a it had a screen. It had little buttons on it. You could play games on this thing, and you slide this VMU into your controller, and you could save your game progress to the controller. You could put games on there. There was a. a for the, the Sonic Adventure game, if you've ever played Sonic Adventure on the Sega Dreamcast, it was a, it was a big Sonic running around in a pseudo-open-world-ish 3D environment. And in that game, you could get these little pets, these little virtual pets that they called Chows. And you could raise them. There was this little island you could go to where you could collect all your Chows and level them up and feed them and play with them and all that sort of thing. Well, you could also download your chows or at least one at a time to your VMU, pull it out of the controller and then play with it throughout the day cuz your little VMU had a had a battery in it. It was a little it was a little mini gaming system. It was sort of like you remember those Tamagotchis? Those little itty-bitty things, those little creatures that you you hatch and raise, and on this little itty-bitty, super simple uh, little gaming thing with just a couple buttons on it and a little black and white, you know, pixel screen, and just you know, you just raise these little gaming things. It was a big, it was a big deal in the in the 90s for a little while. It was kind of like those. Anyway, a new project has come along to create the VM2 instead of the VMU. Uh, and they've they've raised $150,000 to build these VM2s over on Indiegogo. And it's super, super cool looking. I'm going to read a little bit from the project because it's you've got to check out the screenshots for this. It looks a lot like the original VMUs, except it's super upgraded. Uh, quote, The vm2 project aims in the total reproduction and upgrade of the original vmu for our beloved dreamcast the vmu was one of the greatest consoles assets but with many design flaws now with the vm2 all of these flaws are eliminated giving the user an experience that truly feels like next gen internally the vm2 received a totally refreshed design with modern electronics externally it is upgraded at the same time keeps the original looks and feels as a tribute to the original vmu features and upgrades uh, a new monochrome backlit lcd higher screen resolution micro sd storage internal storage of 128k embedded and an embedded high capacity battery a usb c port for both charging and connecting to a pc uh, original audio support, Dream Eye support, original uh, language support for English and Japanese, uh, LCD game image streaming to the PC, which is cool, charging from both the controller and the USB-C port, and support for VM2 to VM2 connections, uh, supposedly with the future firmware upgrade. Very cool very very cool and i love that there's so much excitement around this in the in the, in the in the the nerd retro gaming community that they raised 150 grand to make a whole bunch of these and i wish them the best of success cuz that's just super neat all right, let's, let's do one more uh, bit of gaming-ish news, and let's talk about the Nintendo Entertainment System operating system for a second. The NES OS is a, is a brand new operating system, a very, very limited operating system uh, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I'm going to read this here. It's really cool looking. <clears throat> limited, but cool. NESOS is an operating system designed for the Nintendo Entertainment System and Family Computer Systems, the Famicom. The operating system features two core applications, the word processor and the settings. The word processor allows users to print characters in certain blocks to the screen, then save that data in the form of a file for later use or editing. The setting app displays system information and lets the user select one of seven cursors and one of 53 possible desktop background colors. It also acts as the file manager, allowing users to delete their saved files. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't do a lot. It is extremely limited. I mean, crazy limited. What it just described is everything it does. Um, And here's, it is only able to save up to eight files, and each file is limited to 2K each. That said, still very cool. I I included some screenshots over in the article to check it out. Uh, It's very cool. It's got... (laughs) It, it, it would need a lot of work before it would be usable for anything uh, at all. But it's very, very cool project, just the same. But here's the thing. Um, this, there's been some reporting on this, and every single bit of reporting has ignored the fact that this is not the first operating system for the NES. And what's more, it's not the first operating system for the NES called NESOS, <laughs> There was in fact a completely <clears throat> excuse me unrelated project called NESOS from 6 years ago which is all up in open source on GitHub. I've linked to it in the article. And it took a totally different approach to it, right? So what the other project, the 6-year-old NESOS had a design for a hardware interface for that allowed you to attach a PS2 keyboard to your Nintendo Entertainment System. So any old PS2 keyboard, plug plug right into your NES. Cool, right? Um, and then in addition to that... The NESOS, this this six-year-old one, included a command line, so it had a full command line, and a Brain F interpreter. Uh, Brain F is, is a programming language, so it had a full programming language, and it included two sample programs, uh, the, the Game of Life and a, sna- a snake game, right? The classic snaking, snake getting longer eating things game, all written in, in Brain F. <clears throat> now, which arguably... That old six-year-old NESOS was a far more robust and powerful system. But it kind of requires you to, you know, build that little, uh, <laughs> that little PS2 hardware interface and connect a PS2 keyboard for it. The, the new one can use the Nintendo keyboard, uh, which was part of the family computer system in Japan, the Famicom keyboard um i but uh you know if you don't have one of those you're you know you know a uh, bummer you don't have a physical keyboard <laughs> but still very cool I would almost like to see the two projects combined together. I think that would be that would be super rad. That would be rad, because then you could have a nice little GUI with a nice little GUI word processor in addition to a command line with some scripting languages, and, and then all of a sudden you have an NES OS that would be useful for something. And especially if you could get some ability to pull files on and off. A little more easily but still extremely cool love that it's happening all right all right uh let's go back to the linux world for a second uh so there's been some news about fedora in fedora 37 they have disabled gpu support for a number of the more popular media codecs like h264 this has understandably annoyed a lot of people a lot of people right because i mean not having good support for popular media codecs is highly inconvenient super inconvenient especially when you might have had it before and now you don't right it's been pulled away from you that is annoying that is frustrating, that in some cases will be a deal breaker in people's ability to do certain production tasks on their Fedora 37 machines. I understand that. Uh, people, There's been YouTube videos complaining about it, articles bemoaning it. I get it. That said, it's not exactly an unprecedented thing that's happening there. In fact, in fact, uh, many distributions have had this exact thing happen over the last 10 to 15 years multiple times. Uh, I I remember back when this happened with Ubuntu. Ubuntu was not able to legally ship things like MP3 codecs, right? Uh, As well as several other media codecs and media tools because of legal reasons. So So Ubuntu was not, for a time, it was not able to play back DVDs or MP3s, or a variety of different media types. Well, that gave rise to Linux Mint. Now, Linux Mint is a distro all on its own nowadays that has its own set of features and its own development pipeline and all that. But the original Linux Mint, why it started, was 100% for no reason at all other than to be Ubuntu Plus those media codecs and tools. That's it. That's the only thing they added initially. That's it. I I remember distinctly, I was doing a podcast called the Linux Action Show, and we covered it at the time. There was no purpose at all for it. I mean, the stated purpose for Linux Mint was just to add in the media codecs and such. That's it. Otherwise, it was exactly Ubuntu. And back then, the purpose was they never intended for it to go further than that. It was just the media codex. That was the whole point. Now, of course, things have uh, blossomed out of that and grown, but that was the whole point back then. And then over on the OpenSUSE side, same deal. SUSE corporate was very, very reluctant that for OpenSUSE to include certain media codecs again, like MP3s. So for a, for quite some time, OpenSuSE was not distributing the MP3 media codex for legal reasons. They didn't want to get sued because in many countries, uh, those li- they, those those codecs had licenses and patents related to them, and they couldn't legally do it without complying with certain regulations and and com- and giving money to the companies that that own those patents. So they didn't. They didn't include it, which resulted in. A number of OpenSUSE re-spins, basically OpenSUSE distributions that added in those media codecs and were, for most other purposes, essentially just de facto plain Jane OpenSUSE for the most part. There was a few that were a little different, but that's what they were existing for this sort of thing has happened quite a lot then mp3s changed over time because now mp3s can be legally distributed by by anyone and so mp3 support is now everywhere now that doesn't mean that this isn't annoying i i I totally get it is this is definitely annoying for fedora users but more likely than not People will find a way around it. People will have uh, repositories set up somewhere that they can use and very quickly install support. Um, uh, there, there could be a lot of a lot of workarounds that the Fedora team could come up with. But this is a problem, and whether whether we think it it should be the, that these media codes should be patented and whatnot or not is kind of irrelevant. That's the world we live in. And I can't really blame Fedora for, for pulling those out. You know, it, it doesn't really matter if, if I think it's silly that the H.264 or any other media codec should have those sort of restrictions on it. It, I, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think. That's the world we live in, and we just have to deal with it. Now, the reality is at some point it won't be an issue anymore. And at some point, uh, those, those media codecs will just simply appear in plain Jane Fedora again. Um, but now what this does mean is that any distribution that is distributing in, say, North America, the UK, Canada, most, uh, any of the EU, essentially, and, and most most jurisdictions where this is going to be a licensing issue, other distributions are going to have to follow suit, um, realistically, I mean that's just that's just common sense here. Uh, so I, I would expect more distributions beyond fedora to do that uh, if they are already if they're currently including sup- that kind of support for those codecs. Um, <clears throat> moving on to the last item. And this one is interesting. So system 76. They make their own Linux distribution that is based on Ubuntu. It is Ubuntu with changes, right? Just like Linux Mint or 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 Elementary or any of a variety variety of different uh, distributions. Ubuntu plus changes. They make it called Pop OS. P O P exclamation point underscore O S. Weirdest name you could give it. Really, I I, I think it's a dumb name, but <laughs> whatever. It's fine. <laughs> It's a nice looking system. It's just kind of a silly name. They are they are making a change. So they are developing their own desktop environment and moving away from Gnome. They're not going to be using Gnome Shell anymore. They're going to be moving to something they call Cosmic, right? Their own desktop environment that they're developing in-house. Now, where this is getting really interesting... Now, that's already by itself. It's like, well, okay, so how many desktop environments do we need again? Uh, but cool, cool. But they're moving to a completely different UI framework as well. They're going to be ditching GTK, the GNOME toolkit, completely. And instead, opting to use Iced, which is a new UI framework... That is developed in Rust. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read this quote from, uh, from one of the developers who posted over on a, a Reddit thread. After much deliberation and experimentation over the last year, the engineering team has decided to use Iced instead of GTK. Iced is a native Rust GUI toolkit that's made enough progress lately to become viable for use in Cosmic various cosmic applets have already been written in both gtk and iced for comparison the latest development versions of iced have an api that's very flexible expressive and intuitive compared to gtk it feels very natural in rust and anyone familiar with elm will appreciate its design cosmic settings will be developed in tandem with and from this toolkit okay I have thoughts and questions, and I I want to kind of go through, I outline a few of them in the article, but I want to go through a little more in depth here. First of all, it remains to be seen how this will impact GTK applications running on Pop OS. Pop OS is currently based on GNOME and GTK. If they ditch GNOME and ditch GTK for developing their new desktop environments, how will that existing gtk applications that their users have become dependent on look and behave on a operating system developed with a completely separate non-compatible toolkit obviously it's entirely possible to make it to make everything look pretty similar you develop a a series of gtk themes that make gnome apps (laughs) look as similar to this iced uh framework as possible i i that's that's obviously a doable thing right but there's a lot of things to consider beyond simply the the general look things as simple as a file save dialogue so that now we're going to have applications that use wildly, wildly different-looking and behaving file save dialogs using completely different toolkits. I could see a number of issues there, a number of issues, and even if even if many of those issues are going to be easy to overcome, simple things like, uh, for example, I'm going to give you a very simple, almost pointless example, but be, it, it kind of gets your brain thinking about how how many issues there could be here. If you have a file save dialogue in a gnome application, you know how in, in, in many of those app, those file save or file open dialogues, you have your, your list, your kind of your hot list of places to save to on the left, right? Like your desktop, your documents folder, et cetera. And you can drag and drop new folders over to that area so, for, for quick reference in the future. You now have a situation where your gnome apps will have, will have those 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 quick little little hot areas, those little quick save folders that you've set up, but your iced applications won't unless you spend a significant amount of engineering time reading those preferences every time they get updated and making sure those are seamlessly and immediately shown in all ICE dialogues as well. Doable, but one of hundreds if not thousands of areas of consistency of usability that are going to come into play and you quickly are going to have not just inconsistent UIs but increasingly complex systems and increasingly buggy systems by design that is there is no way around that that is going to happen that means that inevitably because there is no situation where this has not occurred pop os and their cosmic develop the cosmic desktop environment will by design get more complex more memory hungry more processor hungry and buggier by design and more interdependent there are issues there and from looking at the screenshots and and you go ahead and take a look at the 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 screenshot i included in the article and let me know I, i can't see a visual or usability reason for the change the screenshots that are available for Iced, including the Iced sample application inside of Pop! OS currently, I I, I don't see where there's something that's uniquely different or better. I, I not, not that I think it's bad. I mean, maybe Iced is a great framework. Maybe it's awesome. Maybe it's really fun to develop it with. But I don't see a, an, an end-user reason for it the the papoas team is going to have their hands full they have to come up with a really amazing reason for it because i don't i don't see it this also strikes me and, and <clears throat> this is this is less about the 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 end product and more about the choices made on the back end but this strikes me as yet another example of hey let's rewrite something in rust because rust is a religion and it is blasphemy to not use rust that's that's what it strikes me as um, and knowing that, you know, one of their primary developers that makes these sorts of decisions is kind of a, a I don't want to say rust zealot, but that's kind of, kind of like what he is, right? He, he develops other things in rust and operating systems in rust and everything has to be rust. And if you don't use rust, you're bad. That's the, that's, that's, that's the approach. And so that seems to have influenced the entire System 76 corporate approach to be: we have to base everything on Rust, or we're bad. And I think in this case, um, just like we're we're seeing over happening over in the Linux kernel right now, where we're seeing people saying, "Okay, we're going to bring Rust into the Linux kernel." Oh wait, there actually could be some really significant problems with that. They're they're finding that out now, and there's there's debates happening in the Linux kernel mailing list where they're like, "Okay." Based on the design of Rust, maybe this was a actually a bad idea to do the Linux kernel in Rust. And so they're having a debate about that right now. And this doesn't mean Rust is bad. But when you begin to say, we have to use this, it's our religion, which is what this has become, uh, you start to ignore the engineering pluses and minuses of using different languages different frameworks different compilers for given projects and it could be very well that using rust or rust-based libraries in this instance for these desktop environments it makes total sense it could be but that doesn't strike me as what's happening here it strikes me that this is being done for more of religious reasons Uh, and when i say religious reasons i mean rust i mean that it's become a a bit of a, a bit of a faith uh, I could be wrong, but that's that's what it strikes me as. And I, I that doesn't seem like a great reason to make business decisions and decisions based that will impact your whole business. Because we're talking about impacting all of uh, the Pop OS, which is shipped on all of System 76's hardware. That's that's not great. Also, so this is yet another brand new GUI toolkit and brand new desktop environment to go with it, and brand new applications to support it. Because, because why now? It strikes me as a lot of fragmentation. Uh, I mean, it is more fragmentation in an already highly fragmented ecosystem. I mean, the whole Linux GUI application ecosystem is extraordinarily fragmented right now. I mean, I mean, are we talking, we're not just talking cute and GTK, but we've got, you know, elementary and enlightenment and so many others. What does this get us? It's a lot of effort, a lot of effort, including in maintenance. Once the core development is done, I mean, we're talking many people on maintenance full time forever for this. But Why? I haven't seen that case made yet. And and they don't and here's the thing. System 76 does not need to make that case. It's their project. They can just choose to run wild with it and I support that. If the if the whole point of this is they want to have some fun programming in Rust in a brand new never commercially and wide-scale tested framework. <laughs> to develop their own desktop environment, to, to push out, uh, to replace a desktop environment that is working for 99 plus percent of all their users very well. God bless them. Go for it. It is, are they going to experience problems with it? Yeah. Is there are their support team going to be overwhelmed with compatibility issues and bugs? Oh yeah. They're going to have to triple their support team. No doubt about it at least. And their engineering staff as well. There's there's no way. There's no way that System 76 has an army of 50 or 60 QA engineers ready to work on the desktop environment. Because that's what it takes in order to ship a bug-free, high-quality desktop environment. That's what it takes. Certainly, if you want to do it in any reasonable amount of time. Unless the the goal is to ship this cosmic desktop environment 20 years from now. Which I don't think it is. So, uh, here's the other issue. When a company who has their own Linux distribution decides to make their own desktop environment, (laughs) Unity, it doesn't have a good track record of succeeding. The landscape is littered with failed desktop environments. And not just in Linux. I I mean, this is true across um, the, the Unix world. You've got weird little Glass and whatnot, 3D interfaces on top of Unix. I mean, how many desktop environments are out there or window managers? There's a lot. There is a lot. And very few of them are currently actively used and commercially supported in in commercial environments. Very, very few. So if you're a company and you're thinking, where do we put our focus do we put it into developing new applications that, are, that our customers need? Nope. Do we put it into developing uh, new and better drivers and new and open source firmware to get, you know higher performance and, and enable new functionality that was heretofore impossible? Nope. We reinvent the wheel and hope our wheel is better than the last wheel. That's what they're saying. And it is entirely possible, it is entirely feasible that System76 creates a great-looking desktop environment. I've met many of these people. I am huge fans of some of their design work. They have done great work in the past. They really have. I have have some concerns about the way their company has gone lately. Um, They've gotten very angry and yelly and very, very actively politically and that that starts to rub me a little wrong like it starts to concern me. but realistically they have done some truly phenomenal work in the past on both uh, UI design, graphic design and whatnot. they really have and uh, big fan, big fan of that work of theirs. So if they apply that, To this new cosmic desktop environment regardless of the fact that they're creating something brand new built on a brand new untested technology and attempting to shoehorn it into their existing system in such a way that users will not be negatively impacted in any way which is 100% impossible but ignoring that ignoring the complete impossibility of pulling that off 100% impossible never been done before Putting that aside for for a moment. They could could put something together pretty beautiful. And that I would like to see. I would like to see that maybe what they're putting out is going to be truly different. Maybe it is going to be truly spectacular looking. And if that's the case, it could have some real value and be worthwhile. But so far, the screenshots I've seen, if that is what it looks like, it looks significantly worse than the default gnome theme. It looks significantly worse than the default cute theme. It looks, <clears throat> I, I just not that great. It looks fine, but what like the buttons and the the radio buttons and the sliders and whatnot? They look like the kind that developers create as placeholders for buttons. They're not just simple, but boring and unrefined and and it just it just doesn't look great um so here's hoping that they haven't played their cards yet this is this is what i truly hope i hope that the system 76 has not played their cards yet they have not shown people what the designs are yet i have hope i hope that they're going to wow everybody and they're going to come out with something really great that even though there is going to be significant upgrade pain significant for a lot of people And for a lot of their customers that in the end, it will be worth it because they'll have done something. They'll come up with something truly new, truly revolutionary and truly gorgeous. I hope that I really hope that. But I'm doubtful. (laughs) Anyway, I've got a lot of questions here. There's not a lot of answers to be had. This is this is kind of a this is kind of par for the course in the in the Linux world. You know, Uh, you know, people decide to blaze their own trail. Uh, There's a long track record of companies deciding to do exactly what System76 is doing. And for me to tell them that's not the right approach and then for them to yell at me and then two to three years later for them to agree that I was right in the first place and do the thing I told them to do. This is There's a long track record of this. <laughs> this has happened with Canonical and Ubuntu a, a good half dozen to a dozen times now um, for a variety of different projects of theirs. And uh, it seems that now System76 has decided to take a page from the Ubuntu playbook and, uh, and go down a road where uh, uh, they're going to encounter some problems. They here here's the thing. How do I how do I put this without sounding like a jerk? <laughs> I'm sitting here right now thinking, do I say this because it's gonna sound like a okay, I'm just gonna say this point point blank. I know the people that are doing a lot of this work. They are not experienced software engineers. I immediately made at least ten people very angry by saying that. And here's what I here's what I mean by that: they are talented, brilliant engineers. Even the people who have yelled at me, like <laughs> even the people they, they've got they've got a couple, and they've got at least one engineer there who has screamed profanities on the internet about me and done horrible stuff, but he's brilliant, brilliant. However. He's young and has profoundly little experience in this domain. And when I say, when I, in this domain, I mean shipping and maintaining in long term, high quality projects like this. He, he hasn't had those experiences. And those are the kinds of people at System 76 making these decisions right now. And the same is true of like, um, so like their CEO. Uh, The CEO of System76 is A, very nice, and B, very smart, and that is an amazing set of qualities for a CEO to have, and he is astoundingly good at running his company, really good. He impressed me 2,000 different ways from Sunday, I'm telling you. When When I met with him, when I've talked with him, impressive he does he knows his audience he knows his customers he knows his employees who he treats really well he knows he knows the the technical side of things and he does a fantastic job of all of it but he's never done this before and i've not seen any indication that they've brought someone on board who has say 15 to 20 years of tech executive experience who' shipped a large number of highly complex projects, both new and and existing projects and handled many significant software rollouts where they're taking large scale current customers and applying their current and, and and changing what those customers are using. Like I, I don't I don't see any indication that there's anyone at their company who's done the type of things that they need in order to pull this off. Because it's hard to pull this stuff off. What System 76 is biting off is, without saying it, uh, without, it's more than they could chew. And so I have high, high doubts that this is going to go well but I I hope I'm wrong. I very rarely am though. All right. uh, (laughs) I'm going to get yelled at. Anyway, uh, thanks everyone for hanging out with us today. Uh, This episode of the, uh, the Lunduk journal podcast is sponsored by, (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's not sponsored by anyone. We don't take ads. We don't take money from companies. Uh, It's all sponsored by you. It's made possible by all of you subscribers who make it all, make it all happen. Uh, Those of you over at the Lunduk journal community at Lunduk locals.com shout out to you thank you for being the greatest place to hang out on the internet for those of you who subscribe over at Lunduke.substack.com, big thanks you're the free subscribers the paid subscribers the founding members the lifetime subscribers you're all amazing i could not do this what i do without all of you um we we have we, we finished uh, a couple weeks back our, our last sale of the year you know it's october we're not doing any more sales in october november december in fact i don't have any sales planned for next year either I, i'm kind of thinking it's i don't need to do any sales anymore what's great is the lunduk journal despite not taking a single penny from big companies is now in a position where you know we're just self-sustaining we we can exist i'm not a millionaire I'm definitely not a millionaire, but I can do this full time, writing articles and doing shows for all of you, with all of you. And I don't have to take a penny from, from any company so that you know my opinions are honest and not influenced by, by anyone. I, I can't think of a single company that has the ability to influence me at this point. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. That's because of all of you. Uh, So we we don't have any sales. There's no sales coming up. The prices that are on the website, that's what the prices are for subscription and what they shall be for a very long time. So sign up if you haven't already. And now's the time to do it. Though the one thing I will say is if anyone is, has been a subscriber is currently like a a regular subscriber and you want to move over to be a lifetime subscriber, which all that means is that you never have to pay again. And, uh, you get all the benefits from all the subscription levels and you have to have to pay again. Um, if you want to move over to that, you can apply everything you've spent on your current subscription toward the lifetime subscription. It's just kind of like a way of saying, Hey, you've been supporting us. You've been supporting the Lunduke Journal. You've been, you know, pitching in your, your five bucks for per month or, or, or however much per year. And, and I want to say thank you. So you've already been doing that for a number of months or in some cases more than a year. And you want to and you just want to move it over to lifetime because you're going to be sticking around. Well, you can just apply everything you've already spent towards the lifetime. It's kind of a it, it's it feels like the right thing to do. Uh, because all of you have been supporting me. I, I want to say thank you to all of you. So if you want to do that, uh, go, to the, go to lunduk.substack.com. There's an About tab up at the top. And you can find information on how to sign up for the lifetime subscription, and then just just look at it and see how much you've spent on your subscription so far. Subtract that amount from the lifetime subscription amount, and uh, and then follow the instructions on that page, and and then you never have to pay another dime, and you're part of this community forever. <laughs> You will never escape. It's like that episode of the Twilight Zone, you know, where the the car, they go to the cafe, and they can never escape the cafe, and the population sign ticks up by two at the end. It's like that, except less creepy and more nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) and if you have any questions like you're like uh how much have i spent on subscription i don't know i don't want to do the math on that just email me or send me a direct message a private message over at lunduk.locals.com one or the other and i can just look it up for you it takes me like two seconds uh i i did it for someone just just this morning and uh, i'll just send it over to you and then oh, away you go. Bob's your uncle, your lifetime forever, and it's it's great. It's a great way to support the community. It's a great way to support the work I do, and it saves you some bucks in the long run, which uh, I'm, I'm a cheapskate, so I like saving bucks. Why wouldn't you like saving bucks? <laughs> Everyone likes saving some bucks. Anyway, uh, love y'all. You, you guys are the greatest group of nerds on the whole internet, and uh, I will see you guys later.